Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. The Tamson and Dan read the paper on Sunday, September 19th, 2021. Beautiful day here yeah, in yeah, yeah. Limeport. Limeport, great. Yes, that's where we are, Limeport. Uh, yeah, beautiful day. No question about it. Got in a nice bike ride. Yep. Uh, a change from uh, the past few weeks. Oh, it hasn't been uh, overly humid and hot, at least not today. And, uh, of course, we had the rough weather with the rain and everything. So, it's beautiful today. Yeah. So, here we go. Here we what go. What you got? Well, you have uh, a story which I sort of looked at and I said, I'm not reading this. And you read it and it's a good article. Got- it's not a good article, but it's got, it's got a few fun points okay. in it. Wall Street Journal, The Accidental Chef. By the food writer B. Wilson, mm-hmm. under her table talk column, and uh, mistakes, she says, are an essential part of cooking. Without them, we may not have brownies, oyster sauce, or hummus that's light as a cloud. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the best the best story is really the oyster sauce story. You got to admit. And uh, Lee Kum Shung invented oyster sauce in like 1888. Mm-hmm. He had a tea stall. They, you know, served oysters, you know, on the street streets of Hong Kong. 1888, 26 years old. Left some oysters in the pot too long, and it turned into a brown, sticky mess. But I guess he was kind of conservatious and he took a little taste before he threw them out and he decided it was delicious. All right. So he started selling it in uh, ceramic jars under the Lee Kum Kee brand, which you can still buy today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oyster sauce. All right. Uh, his brilliant mistake made his family richer than he could ever have imagined. When his grandson died this July, yeah, the family's wealth, he was 91, by yeah. the way, the family's wealth was valued at around $17 billion. All right. It's a lot of oyster sauce. How I, you know, about that? I'm not that attuned to oyster sauce, but I'm going to take your word for it. But Well, you know, oyster, it has a lot of umami. So it's one of those okay. things where you add this kind of magical... Um, sort of taste, yeah. earthy taste right. to but, anything. But I thought most of the stuff in the article was the kind of stuff I'd expect, which is things that go bad and they start fermenting. Well, it's not so... Well, there is that. I mean, she does point out what is uh, yogurt right. other yeah. than... Sour kind of milk. Sour milk. Okay. Right. That's yeah. true. But there are also other good mistakes. Like? Like leaving the baking powder out of a chocolate cake recipe and, and ending up with brownies. Really? Yeah. That's all you got to do? <laughs> yeah. Brownies are basically butter yeah. <laughs> and uh, chocolate and a little flour okay. and sugar. I'm, I'm capable um, of doing so, that. So I that was see good. myself leaving the baking uh, powder out. Yeah. Chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. That's a mistake. Um, someone was out of, uh, I don't know, the chocolate for the chocolate cookies she wanted to make. Yeah. So she chopped up some chocolate, threw it in, and the chocolate fragments didn't melt. Yeah. So you had these little chocolate nuggets in a cookie. I'm familiar with the white chocolate. There you chip. have yeah. chocolate chip cookies. He's probably so, one of the key creations of inventing the last few hundred years. Yeah, chocolate chip cookies and chocolate chips at yeah. the same time, yeah. more or less. 
Um, uh, Anything else? Popsicles. Popsicles? How do you how do you screw that up? Uh, leave some uh, sugary soda. Yeah. With a straw or some kind of stick in it, in the- on your porch in Bangor, Maine. <laughs> In the, in the middle of winter. Yeah, okay, I guess. Okay? All right. And then you end up with popsicles. Except who wants a popsicle in Bangor, Maine in the middle of winter, but fine. I, yeah. I get the idea. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so there are all those good mistakes. Yeah. And then the one she's, the hummus one she's referring to, um, this lady, the a writer, Hetty McKinnon, yeah. was making hummus and she just uh, wasn't thinking. And rather than draining the canned chickpeas yeah. before she threw them in the blender, she just threw it all in with the liquid they were in. Yeah. Okay. And she was very depressed. She said she might as well go forward. She turned on the blender with the other ingredients. She thought it was going to be some watery mess. And it was light and fluffy and delightful. Okay. Okay. Which, um, because... Actually, a lot of people are big fans of chickpea well, water. Let me, let me it's ask, called aquafaba. Yeah, let me ask you this question. Vegetarians even I, use it for... Yeah. You may not cop to this. Use it for what? In place of egg whites. It has okay. these magical emulsifying... Um, okay. um, Listen, I, I bet even you have made a couple of mistakes in the kitchen. Has it ever turned out right? Have you ever made a mistake in the kitchen? You said, you know something? thought that was bad, but it turned out to be good. Yeah, I'm constantly doing that. Too numerous to mention. But it works out? And, and it, well, well, you make it work out. Ah, I see. Okay. I mean, the the experienced chef, <laughs> yeah. the old person, <laughs> yeah. says, shoot, yeah. I'm not doing this over. I got to make this work. Okay. And you either just don't say anything. My um, The guy who, who uh, cuts our trees, yeah. his uh, motto is, do not talk. <laughs> it means it means you don't say it. You just don't say anything. You don't say this is wrong. I forgot the baking powder. You just say, "How do you like this?" Yeah. And the guy um, who cuts our trees came up with this. Yes, that's. He even has a racehorse named that. I, we have a guy who cuts our trees. Who owns a racehorse. Oh, of course we do. <laughs> well, that explains a lot. Have you seen lot. our bills? <laughs> exactly. That's that tells me everything I need to know. Well, this is this is worth having this so, conversation. And, and she does mention in the article that the food writer uh, Julia Child said, you know, cooking is basically, you know, well, that's a, a one failure no, no, after I, another. I, I ferret, con- constantly make I ferreted mistakes. out the information. It's the mistakes that make you a better cook. I needed to know. The guy who cuts our trees owns a racehorse. Do not talk. Wait, how about the guy who works on the roof? He must have like twelve. Maybe race that was horses. in reference to showing your husband the invoice. Do not talk. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh my god. Well, that opens up a whole new area of inquiry. Um, all right. So I had a very good experience in front of the television set uh, last Monday night. I'm going to go into that in public. <laughs> in front of the television. And I turned on it. You probably had gone to bed by then. I think you had. I, the Monday night football game. Uh, the broadcast of the Monday night football game is uh, tr- you know, traditionally regarded as, as subpar. For whatever reason, no matter what team they put together, they're trying too hard. Who knows? It's, well, it's, it's, ever it's since there was no Howard Cosell. Yeah, it's quite some time ago. Yeah. So, uh, but I had gotten wind of the fact that the Manning brothers, Eli and Peyton, were doing a broadcast on an alternative feed, ESPN2. And I turned into it, turned tuned into it, and uh, it was fantastic. Fantastic. Is it going to be on again? Uh, it's not on every week. They'll tell you. I think it's, they're going to be on nine different weeks. So it'll be on semi-regularly. But 
I didn't have such high expectations. I didn't know what they were doing. Uh, the story is that the two of them are going to be in different locales. And, you know, with the magic of Zoom-type technology, they're side-by-side side on your screen. And they're sitting there watching the game together. Making and, snide comments? No, nah, it's not all snide. You see, you think it's snide because the little uh, YouTube-type clips they had were a little shtick and, and nonsense like right. that. But that wasn't really what it was like. It was more like the two of them were just talking like two friends or two brothers, uh, sitting watching a ball game and talking over the game. They're not hanging on every play. They're not repeating all the uh, information already flashing on the screen, which is what you normally have with announcers. Uh, they're not trying to make themselves known in any way. They're not trying to impress anybody. They're just having a good time and chatting. But more, so number one, they have uh, obviously a great relationship and they're funny together and they're droll together. And they're very much like Tamsin and Dan reading oh, the paper, really? but really? they're watching a football game. Mm-hmm. The added element they have, uh, notwithstanding they lack the expertise you and I have in many subjects, they know a lot about football. Mm-hmm. So their chat is amiable and light and it's kind of fun, but it's also steeped in real knowledge of football. So it's enlightening. It's enlightening. I'm, I'm listening yeah. to saying, I say, I've been watching these games. I don't know what the heck was going on until I saw it. These guys really know. Right. But it's a comp- but sometimes when people really know, they tell you too much. I know, but they're, they don't. They're, they, these guys are just good because they don't care about telling us. They're just chatting. Yeah. So it's yeah. like two uh, great intellectuals in this particular subject having to be football chatting. They're not out to show it to anybody else. They're not out to teach mm-hmm. us anything. They're just talking at a high level. But they're also it's fun. It's a game to them. And the reason it's a game to them is they grew up with They know it's a game more than anybody. They played it. They know you have a bad play, you have a good play 10 minutes later, you have a bad game, you have a good game two games down the line. It's just the game. It's just the game. So as opposed to the momentous, like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a military assault type gestalt that you get on many broadcasts. It's like, it's like the moon landing, you know, can we, you know, salt away the last two minutes of the game? These guys are just chatting, going, yeah, 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 yeah. I would do that. You gotta cut that player in mind. Screw oh, I can't believe it. Can bad break, what are you gonna do? I mean to give you an example, there's a call in the play that's questionable. If you watch the uh, uh, regular broadcast, mm-hmm. they will never say bad call by the referee. They say, Ah, oh, that's a close one. I don't know if I would have made that call, that's tough, you know, because they don't they feel that to, to say that the ref, ref, referee is off is disrespectful, they're disrespecting the game. These guys say, Oh yeah, the referee really screwed that call up, really blew it. Uh, uh, but they don't even dwell on it because mm-hmm. that's part of the game. As a matter of fact, Peyton tells a story. He says, you know, I remember a game where a uh, referee blew a call in a game we had against Miami. And I was so incensed about it that I was just barking at him the whole time. I felt bad afterwards. I went to the NFL offices and I said, can you give me the guy's address in the offseason? I'm going to write him, you know, I'm going to write him a letter. They wouldn't give me his address. <laughs> and he said, I, I said, what are you guys, you're afraid I'm going to egg his house or something like that? And they, they, they had a policy to give me a choice. So, so the guy probably still thinks I'm an incredible jerk. But of course, what makes the story funny is the worst thing Peyton could think of was that egging somebody's house. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I could tell you a story after story. And they had yeah. a couple of guest folks. And, and so it's like you see the technical side of the game, but the human side of the game at the same time. At one point, they have Russell Wilson, the quarterback, on. And he's talking through, and they're chatting. He, they all know these guys. A lot of the young quarterbacks went to the Manning's camps, as did uh, Wilson. But at one point, the critical moment, they said to Wilson, well, what do you think you'd call here? And Wilson says to them, I'd call the him play. And they say, the him play, what's that? And he said, I'm throwing it to him. <laughs> <laughs> because the play, because at the end of the day, the game is about people. So in any event, 
I, I can guess why it works better than everything else, but it was so head and shoulders about everything I've seen. It was like the best thing I've seen on regular television in 10 years, sports or no sports. It was fantastic. I saw a clip uh, that had Archie, yeah. their dad, yeah. texting, uh, I guess, Peyton, saying, um, your mom says, stop scratching your chin so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. cute, too. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, yeah, at one point, uh, Manning said something about the, the helmet not fitting, and he says, yeah, you know, I used to have, uh, I had acne from the helmet. You know, I had acne until I was like, uh, you know, for a while, the acne went away when I was like 13 years old. And, and Eli says, uh, it's not the way I remember it. <laughs> but that's that's their personalities. Peyton's very, you know, out there. And Manning's well, Peyton's very, always hilarious. Eli's sort of quietly droll. And yeah. He's used to Peyton dominating. doesn't bother him. Okay, so back to, not back to, you have, you have several art stories. This is a art-filled uh, podcast. Yes. Yes. Watch out. Can't people. get too much. Watch out, people. Yeah. Um, so you may have noticed on the news this week that uh, the Arc de Triomphe no, has I been didn't. wrapped. I, I it's wrapped that. in polypropylene. It's about time. <laughs> and, uh, it's about it's, time. It's all wrapped up. This is a Christo, the yeah. artist Christo, yeah. and his partner Jean-Claude who both passed away, um, were famous for their rapping projects. Yes, but he didn't okay. rap it because he's passed away. Right, but he had made a plan for it yeah. in like 1961, yeah. so 50 years later. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure in, in Paris at that time, no one was saying, yeah, sure, you know, may we, let's rap, let's yeah, cover. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the Paris right now, on. there are a lot of people saying that too. But in any event. <laughs> no, but, rap, but anyway. The deed um, is done. It, the deed is done. Yeah. The first thing he wrapped in Paris was the Pont Neuf in, uh, I don't know, about uh, 1985. Yeah. And, of course, you remember his famous The Gates. In New York, yeah. In New York. Can yeah. you believe? Do you have any idea when that was? Uh, 20 years ago. 2005. Oh, it's 15 years ago. I, you know, I didn't think it was that long ago. I, I, but the, the point is, they put up these gates and they had, uh, you know, uh, sort of flags or, right. you yeah. know, drapes. Um, I didn't get it then. Suspended from them. And they were all yeah. along, right. uh, all around. It was an uh, orange. Orange, right? Yeah, they were orange. Yeah. And it was all through Central Park. So you walked under these, you know, sort of waving orange flag things. Right. And it was February. And it was super de duper cold. Mm-hmm. We went there. Do you remember going? Vaguely. Oh, you're kidding me. Um, anyway, it it was good in a lot of ways. Now, it's not like Christo had a lot of high, high, highfalutin ideas mm-hmm. about uh, what it meant or anything. He mm-hmm. just said, it's just for the aesthetic effect. Yeah. It's just for the joy. Yeah. It's just a way of... New ways of looking at something familiar. Right. Okay. And you know what? It had all of that, the gates uh, in New York. People, you know, there were zillions of people in, you know, the completely frozen tundra of Central Park mm-hmm. in the middle of February. And people were having a great time and socializing in a way that you don't ever see. So I, I thought that was a tremendous success. And um, anyway, and um, who finances all this? That's the question I'm interested in. Okay. Yeah. Who? Christo. Oh, okay. Good for him. And not by donations. Doesn't allow, doesn't take any donations. He do, He he and Jean-Claude would sell the preparatory drawings uh-huh. and collages and so on, uh, relevant to the, to the well, project. And all of the projects are temporary. They're up for like 
10 or 15 days. Um, the Arc de Triomphe is going to come down October 3rd. Yeah, but Christo's not around, so who's paying for this one? Well, he has a foundation, oh, okay. you know, who, who continues to do the work. Good. So anyway, so I saw the... So, so I mean, that's not... You know, that's... Everybody knows about this, including you probably saw it, right? No, no. And, uh, you know, and, and they did have, you know, on the news, they had uh, people with the French accent saying, yes, you know, I drive by every day, I don't really notice it, and now I do. Okay, so so you're laughing at this. Anyway. No, I'm laughing because you said people with the French accent. They were in France, Tamsin. Of course they were. Accent. It's funnier. I'm just saying I'm not doing the accent. You oh, have okay. to imagine the I accent see. because, uh, you know, although I would say my French accent is pretty laughable, but uh, let's I, not go there today. Anyway, so I'm going through, uh, I'm not, you know, I know a little bit about Chris. I actually saw him in person a few years ago, um, him and his wife, Jean-Claude, yes. and uh, they were absolutely delightful people. Um and uh, anyway, so I wasn't really too wrapped up in the Arc de Triomphe. Okay. But um, going through the Wall Street Journal yesterday, there's a picture of a giant sequoia that is wrapped. Yeah. Okay. And it's the General Sherman sequoia in the giant forest of the National uh, the Sequoia National Park in California, and they are wrapping things there to protect them from the fire. Yes, but wrapping them in tin foil or something. Well, right? some kind of protective foil. Yeah. So you know, it looks like so a, that, that was funny. That was uh, just funny to me that in Paris they're, you know, wrapping the Arc de Triomphe, yeah. you know, for art, and here they're wrapping General Sherman for survival. Like General Sherman, the tree. Yeah. Over 2,000 years old. Oh, my God. And uh, the uh, circumference of it, well, let's say the diameter of it is like 36 feet. It's 275 feet tall. Well, it looks like a giant. So you do want to save it. And, then, and, and I've seen pictures of a few other things it's they're like wrapping this. in the uh, forest. So I, but let me say this. Yeah. Those sequoias, yeah. the big ones, yeah. they have a lot of bark. So, like 18 inches deep, so they actually can survive a little bit of um, fire. Yeah, let me just say damage. that the rabbit tree in tinfoil looks like a uh, giant baked potato. So, uh, but I think that Krista would get the joke, <laughs> okay. I think he would enjoy it. Uh, interesting article in uh, the Times, and mildly interesting, about uh, Craig Council. Craig Council is the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers, and the Milwaukee Brewers. Or a successful team. And the question that they raised in the headline, is Craig Council the best manager in baseball? And uh, maybe he is. I mean, that team is, for the fourth straight season, is going to the postseason. They win a lot of games. They are the archetypical small market team. And yet they succeed. Uh, and they say a lot of things, nice things about Craig Council. Um, but none of them too remarkable. Matter of fact, what they're emphasizing is there's nothing remarkable about him. He was kind of an average ball player. Seems a nice enough guy, uh, very reasonable. But what really interested me about Craig is, and and this is something that I do, do think the city benefits from, is that he he is born and bred into that city. He's from Milwaukee, all right. He grew up 15 miles from Milwaukee in, in basically Whitefish Bay, which is just outside the city. He went to Whitefish Bay High. Uh, he was a big star at Little League Field. The Little League Field there is still named after him. 
Um, and he, his father worked for the team. That's how embedded he is with the team. And therefore, he went to all the games. And they quote him saying he had a lucky spot at the stadiums. Whenever there was a critical point in a Milwaukee Brewers game, he had to walk basically to the right field area to a particular ramp to watch the game from there because that was the best luck for the Brewers. <laughs> okay? So this is a guy. This is, you know, I'm identifying this. I'm not this is the guy you want running your team. He's born and bred. He loves the team. Uh, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and what he's trying to do, uh, and he's, you know, devoted to it, is to bring them to the World Series, which I think is not going to happen, but we'll, we shall see. Uh, and because uh, it's been so long since they've been to the World Series, and he thinks the people of Milwaukee, uh, to whom he's devoted, deserve that. And it, now you should ask yourself, Tamsin, I'll ask you, when was the last time the Milwaukee Brewers were in the World Series? I don't know. When they played the Mets. No. When we got married. When we were at Niagara Falls and I called my father to say we got married. And he said to me, that's interesting. Let me tell you what's going on in the World Series. And he said, <laughs> and it was the Milwaukee Brewers against the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh, okay. 1982. Really? So now... You, too, are rooting for the Milwaukee Brewers. It'll be like a second honeymoon for us there. This, this is lucky for me. Yeah. If it hadn't been, if it weren't for that game, you would probably never remember the date. Well, this certainly helps. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is I happen to know the guy is the majority or it was the majority like, ownership his, of the Brewers. Who is used... his favorite food apple pie also? No. Why did he say that? Because he just sounds like it's such an all-American. No, but I was going to say story. I like the Brewers too because I know the guys. The owner Mark Adonazio, who worked with me at the law firm years ago, he's a nice enough guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's nothing magical about Craig Council, but uh, I do. You know, when you're a fan, when you're a fan, there is no substitute in the way you feel about the team, um, or even the way you're consoled when they lose for feeling that the guys involved with the team feel as strongly about the team as you do, as opposed to them just being professionals drifting through. Okay. And believe me, there's a lot of sports right. where professionals are drifting through. This guy lives and dies with the team. All right. So that's cool. Good. Well, I have a mildly interesting article as well. Do you? <laughs> I'm glad to know we have this new low bar. <laughs> it, um, it's not new, honey. <laughs> oh, whoa. Ouch. Um... Another, uh, uh, well, we're into the realm of museum updates. Yes, one update after another. And they're not taking any chances on this one, baby, okay? Because this is about an exhibition that doesn't open till May. Yeah. Till May. Is there no news in the world? Why are we printing this now? Because there's no news in the world. You know, we're going to set our uh, VCRs now for this? I don't know. Um Anyway, there's a, at, at the MoMA, yeah. as we like to call the Museum of Modern Art in right. New York, there's going to be an exhibition, uh, basically, I think it's called the Red Studio. Yeah. Okay. And it's going to have a painting by Henri Matisse, the Red Studio, yeah. uh, which um, is a painting of his studio. Kind of everything's red except for paintings of his that are hanging on the wall and leaning up against the wall, etc. And so this exhibition will be that big painting and the other paintings that are depicted 
in the painting. In the Red Studio. Yeah. And it was kind of a, um, well, it was a new and different, it's a very sort of almost, uh, it's very flat, um, not really abstracted, but I, I would say very sort of compressed uh, sense of space. Um, and this idea of washing it all over with this red color and uh, just the outlines of the furniture appear was kind of uh, innovative and exciting. It had been commissioned by one of his patrons who then declined to buy it mm-hmm. when it was finished. Okay. We don't know exactly why, but he did buy a different version of it, which was called the Pink Studio, okay. which was a little bit uh, brighter, um, but the studio more conventional. Climate. The studio is painted red. Yeah, everything it's it's all red. Okay, so what do you buy? A whole room? I mean, I don't, I don't, what, what what is there to buy? No, no, no. It's a painting of the studio. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. It's called the studio. All right, fine. It's a depiction of the studio yeah. with Matisse's paintings I see, in it. I see. So you're going to see. Matisse's depiction of the studio yeah. with paintings. Yeah, and then you're going to see the paintings. And the real paintings he oh was Oh, my depicting. God. I can't wait till May. And, and there was some sculpture, too. I don't know if they're... Maybe they're having some furniture. Right, well, it's something we'll um, it, It's also going to be in Denmark. Yeah. So, like, if you're hanging out in Denmark... Oh, well, what else We know you love Denmark. I love Borgen. Because of the yeah. Borgen. Yeah. Yeah, I love, well, okay, good. Something to do in Denmark. You know what? You know, we watch Borgen, and it kind of makes you feel fond of Denmark. Sure you do, yeah. And yet there's nothing really alluring. I mean, it doesn't look like a, a fabulous place to go to, does well, the it? The way it's depicted very, in this. The people seem very sane. And the, very seem, the people seem very sane, but you don't see a lot of fun, yeah. really. Yeah. Well, you see some be. cookies, but it's a good place to live. It feels like it's good. It's high quality of life. I don't know. We have a lot more Morgan to watch before we come to final conclusion on that. But they do seem to be uh, an interesting, reasonable group of people with their own range of controversy, but nothing that they can't manage. But um, a little bleak. A little bleak. A little bleak. But it's it's actually a fairly prosperous country. I think they have strong natural resources. Um, so Jane Powell died. Uh, and I mentioned Jane Powell only for a couple of reasons. I mean, sorry that she's dead. She was a musical comedy actress. Uh, she was in uh, several prominent musicals, uh, Royal Wedding uh, being one of them. Um, and uh, the one that I'm going to highlight here, because it is a favorite of Sadie's and your mother's, I think it's fair to say, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Uh, would you say that's uh, Sadie's favorite yes, or your mother's favorite? Yes, it's a great favorite. And it's a wild musical. I mean, I can never describe the story because it's too weird. I mean, it's Howard Keel and his six brothers who are out there uh, as sort of in a backwoodsy environment and apparently no way to meet women and socialize. And I think if I remember the, the film correctly, uh, they basically kidnap a bunch of women uh, in town. And bring them back, and uh, it works out well because they seem to uh, warm up to the kidnappers. Am I getting really, it wrong? None of this. Uh, none of this sounds familiar. I know it's the Sabin women or whatever that yeah, is. The the Sabin women. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's a hard sell in modern days. I mean, they, they have. I think they have Jane Powell run out and say, "I've been reading this book." You know, but, but and it has this story. How can you tell that? Could you make that movie today? What? Could you make Probably that? not. No. no. I, mean, I don't I, think you can go around uh, kidnapping women. And, and then saying, it's But it good. is that ancient Roman story 
um, Romulus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, where you get Rome. Yeah. Uh, and his followers who are beginning to realize they can't really fo- found an empire, a dynasty without a family, without children. And they had no women. Yeah. So they go over next to visit the Sabines. They say, we need some women. Yeah. And they say, get the hell out of here, you right. guys. They go back home. They come up with this very brilliant plan to invite the Sabines to a party, yeah. you know. Uh, and they say, don't bring your weapons. It's a party. Yeah. And while the Sabines are there, they seize the women and fight off the Sabines. And... and they cannot um, say it's winter, and apparently the Italians don't fight in winter because it looks like in most of the art they're never wearing clothes. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's it. Uh, and uh, by the time the Sabines get back to rescue, the women, of course, have fallen in love right. well, and say, no, no, no. <laughs> we're not going back. These right. are the fathers of your grandchildren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're fine. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, And that is the story in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which is, again, just leave it the way it is. You could not possibly make this movie today. Uh goes without saying, what I didn't realize, if I thought 10 seconds about it, I could have figured it out, that the uh, score is by uh, Johnny Mercer. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, because it's a wonderful score. There's a lot of dancing. You know, this singing and dancing that you associate with kidnapping. Uh, and uh, Daniel, Daniel. It, oh, it's quite a cheerful Calm movie. Down. It is a cheerful it's movie. It's a cheerful movie. It's and it's got and amazing. Is, it, who, Michael Kidd is the choreographer. It's kind of okay. amazing. And Jacques D'Amboise is in it. Jacques D'Amboise. He is does Jacques, an axe yeah. dance in that movie that is unbelievable. Right. Yeah. You know? and, and, and he doesn't shed a drop. No. It, of it, blood. It, it's an unbelievable thing, especially since when you look at Jacques D'Amboise, he looks like he can barely lift an axe. So the idea that they do this thing with the central dancer. Is one of the guys, one of the big burly guys. Oh, it's Jacques Demoise. He's flipping around like a, you know, like unbelievable. And uh, he's, it, it's a great thing. So it's worth seeing. The funny thing about Jane Powell is uh, she didn't have that long a career because uh, perhaps that's the way it went in those days. There's a quote in which she says, I didn't quit movies, they quit me. Which, as you noted before, meant that she was not too thrilled about it. She also... Um, she also was not afraid to be critical of Judy Garland, uh, which is interesting. Uh, she had uh, she got into royal wedding apparently because Judy Garland was fired. Uh, that's how she got the part in royal wedding. And they have a quote in, in uh, Jane Powell's obituary, which is an odd place to put it. And she says, "You know, I get angry when I hear other actors blame the studios." It really bothered me when Judy Garland used to say, "The studio made me do this. The studio made me do that." Nobody makes you do anything. You make your own choices. So there you go. So you wonder what the truth really is. Because you hear that from more yeah. people than uh, well, Judy Garland. It's, uh, interesting. But there you go. Okay, there's more art, I hope. Yes. A god of desire is revealed in a Vermeer. Mm. Okay. In Dresden. Yeah. Okay. There's an exhibition that opened on Thursday and is running through January 2nd. So you have time to get there. Um, 
And the show is called... That takes the pressure off. Johannes Vermeer on Reflection. Okay. So this is in Dresden at the Old Masters Picture Gallery. Not a very fancy name. But anyway, um, for a long time they've owned a painting called Girl Reading a Letter at an Open Window. Right. About 40 years ago, they did an x-ray of the painting... And they could tell that on the blank wall behind, it's a very simple painting. It's this girl by a window reading a letter, okay? Yeah. And there's a blank wall behind her. Yeah. And um, they say that the x-ray showed that under the paint there, there was a depiction of uh, something, Cupid, right. staring out, right. all right? Um, but it had been painted over. Okay, they didn't do anything about it because um, they kind of assumed that, you know, paintings go through changes right. when they're being painted. The Vermeer uh, probably, you know, just changed his mind, didn't want Cupid there right. and uh, painted it out. Okay, but then um, when it was decided in 2017 uh, to do a restoration of the painting, uh-huh. And and at that time, when they said when they were going to restore it, they still were not planning to reveal the cupid, all right. Except that analysis they did, they could tell by handling the paint. Yeah. Um. The, it was not the same pigment that had been used. The paint that's over mm-hmm. the cupid was mm-hmm. not the same pigment as the rest of the wall. Um. It, in other words, it wasn't paint that Vermeer had used. Yeah, someone else had painted over. And probably right. painted over later. Mm-hmm. Also, the paint has slightly changed color. Okay, so the original color of the wall that Vermeer painted was lighter than what was added. So that means it had darkened over time. And to match that, somebody had to use a darker uh, pigment. So evidence pointed to uh, that uh, Vermeer had painted Mm-hmm. This painting with Cupid in the background. It makes it fun. Cupid is there. It, it, it's a depiction of a painting on a wall. Cupid is um, uh, standing on top of a uh, a mask, trampling on a mask. Okay, um, which kind of gives a little message about what the letter might be about. I mean, people already thought it was a love letter. She's sitting there reading a letter. She seems to be blushing. So, of course, it's a love letter. But this, uh, you know, takes it even a little step further. As Cupid's trampling on the mask, a symbol of deception, this article says, to show that love conquers deceit and dishonesty. So it just adds, it's not just a genre scene. You know, the Dutch painters are famous for the genre scene, just... You know, simple days, simple paintings of everyday life. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, adding a little more to the story, okay? Which is actually true about uh, most of those paintings, which is uh, kind of fun. Now, we see that same Cupid in several other paintings mm-hmm. by uh, Vermeer. Vermeer, okay? And uh, there is um, actually a depiction in the New York Times article... Uh, showing that um, and uh, you know you know I've been cleaning out a little bit I was going through we have a Vermeer I was going through our vinyl collection yeah. right and uh, I came up with uh, a um, recording 
of uh, Bach by a harpsichord group. And there you have it, the, um, the cover art on the um, stereo so that's a, that's a Vermeer. It's a Vermeer with is one of the Vermeers that have that Cupid yeah. in the background. Okay, so, so, uh, so that's really funny. I have never thought much. Exactly. You know, I haven't thought twice about that painting, and then I see it in an article yeah. and uh, see it on my shelves. Well, for a second the there, I, I thought you were going to say you recovered a, a veneer in Vermeer. You cleaning out, <laughs> and uh, you know, the only person I know who has a veneer probably is uh, the tree guy. Probably has a veneer. Right, just, probably. probably. Anyway, there's another painting they found that seems to have uh, some kind of painted over painting yeah. in it. Um, it was painting and, over uh, stuff. But, is, uh, but uh, actually, they analyzed that one, and by looking at the X-ray, they can tell that uh, that painting underneath was just a sketch, and yeah. probably probably had been. So the. The Leonardo movie that we're still trying to see something. Yeah. What, what's that called again? The Lost Leonardo? Lost Leonardo, yeah. Yeah. I guess I saw something. I don't expect you to know about this. I'm just springing it on you. But there's been a lot of talk about what's it's called, the Monday painting. Um, uh, somebody, Salvador Mundi. Salvador Mundi, yeah. And there's, somebody said that, you know, it's as much uh, a repainting as a restoration. Have you heard, heard that? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people say that the person who restored it um, that that has very little to do with uh, Leonardo. Leonardo because yeah. um, right. well, we'll she's just see. painting There's in now... the style of Leonardo. Yeah. She's you know better at it than whoever originally painted the painting. Well, so well, it's well, controversial. We'll There's another that. movie There's out. Them, it's yeah. a French movie, yeah. and the New York Times says that that one is not as good, very good, right. but. Uh, who knows? Anyway, so everybody loves Vermeer for that simplicity, yeah. his his wonderful um, skill with light. And, uh, of course, we're all fascinated by the idea that he may have used mechanical means. Yeah, well, that's a whole to, uh, bag of tricks there, yeah. Help his paintings, right. the camera obscura. Exactly. I think we talked about that. So, in any yeah. event, uh, the last real story is Norm MacDonald passed away. Um and, you know, Norm MacDonald, they, this is described as a comic dripping in dry wit. I guess there's something to that. He, he was clearly offbeat. Uh, and sometimes you couldn't tell whether Norm MacDonald was kidding or not. And I guess that's the main thread of the obituary. That's what made him different. Uh, people keep saying he would tell these stories uh, in talk shows or wherever. And you couldn't quite tell whether he was just making things up or not. And I think in retrospect, people decided he was always making things up. Right. Uh, but he would never break uh, mood, and uh, you can never quite tell. But they do have one joke, as he is credited with having some great jokes. Um, and they say among his most famous ones is one he told in The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien in 2009 about a moth that goes to a podiatrist. A moth that goes, that goes to, to a podiatrist. This okay. is, you're helping me set this up. After a setup that rambled on for minutes in which the moth pours out various emotional troubles. The podiatrist asks the insect why it came to a podiatrist rather than a psychiatrist. And the punchline? Well, the moth said, the light was on. Hilarious. <laughs> there Hilarious. you go. Okay. Uh, there's one birthday you forgot, honey. You're usually very good in terms of mentioning birthdays, and this is a big miss. We have a birthday coming up on September 25th, dear. 
Oh, happy birthday, Pepper. Happy birthday. Well, we, birth- just, we just had Nico's birthday, right? September 15th. We should acknowledge right? that. But, uh, and uh, so now we're moving into Pepper territory. Pepper, pepper year one. Yes. Happy yes. birthday, Pepper. She's survived that long. <laughs> She's being raised by wolves. She's raised by wolves. And, uh, yeah. and yet she has all kinds of personality for a person who doesn't talk at all. Even uh, if we say so ourselves. Yes. Well, she is. Uh, she's fun to want to see. She, she's a pip, that Pepper. Yes. Okay. So happy birthday, Pepper, and uh, happy first birthday, Pepper. She's about to have her first uh, Thompson Granger birthday cake. Yes. Her first uh, egg-free Thompson uh, birthday cake. Yeah. Uh, yes. So uh, that's it. So um, this is Thompson Granger and Dan Apuha with Thompson and Dan read the paper, and uh, we'll be back.